What's going on, everyone? Welcome to this episode of the Barbell CEO Podcast. My name is Mike Dewar, and today we're going to talk about something that plagues a lot of people in the gym, and it's the people who walk around, have great upper bodies, big, powerful size, yet they lack leg size and strength. And I'll be honest, this is something that I dealt with uh, throughout a good portion of my 20s, uh, despite training my legs. Um, so today we're going to spend some time discussing some reasons why you might be having issues gaining size and strength in your legs. We're also going to go into some of my favorite exercises to build muscle and hypertrophy and talk about some different techniques that you can use to, uh, to maybe revamp your programming because maybe you're doing things, uh, you're doing the right exercises, but you're not, maybe not doing them correctly, or we need to vary some things up. And then I'm also going to share with you, uh, kind of a sample week. So a two-day lower body split, we'll go through that, kind of my reasoning behind how I'm programming that, uh, something that I've used uh, repeatedly as a kind of a template that I can put together and swap in and out exercises uh, as I'm looking for markers of hypertrophy and progress. So that is what today's episode is all about. Make sure you guys real quick, uh, if you guys want to hear more about this, make sure you guys subscribe to this channel, share this with a friend who struggles with the chicken leg syndrome. Uh, but first, we're going to jump into a little bit of uh, sponsor show notes, and then we're going to get after it. If you're looking for some of the best workout shorts, pants, tops in the business, you guys got to check out 10,000 training gear. Uh, real quick about these guys. One of the coolest things that I love, and let's be clear here, I've worn a lot of shorts, a lot of tank tops, a lot of pants. I put them through the ringer of Olympic weightlifting where I'm you know, scraping the bar up the thighs, making a lot of contact. I've ripped a lot of leggings uh, all the way to I live in the gym. I'm a trainer. I'm a coach. I wear gym clothes all the time because I'm looking for comfort. I'm looking for durability. And I'm looking for style. And when I came across this company, I I gave them a shot and I said, you know what? There's a bunch of companies out there, but I'm going to check these out because they had the options for liners. I, I like liners in my shorts. Um, some people don't. So they have that option there. They have multiple lengths. You kind of customize if you like a short, maybe you want a shorter inseam or a you know, longer inseam. You have options with the same style short, which is kind of cool because you can customize. But when I stumbled upon two of the main shorts that I really love is the tactical short and the interval short. Uh, what I like about them was that the design was simple. They were functional. Uh, I love that they had the ability to put everything I needed in my pocket. So every single pant short has the ability to put your phone in there. And I have a giant uh, iPhone 8. It's a, I know it's an old one, but it's a plus. It fits in there nice when I'm biking or I'm transporting myself to work. Or if I'm doing squats, it's on the side there. It gets out of the way. They have interior pockets. I can put my wallet and my keys and, and now that I work with the company, work with the design team, it's pretty cool to hear that they put that in mind. So they make sure that, you know, everything is not only functional in the gym, but it's functional with lifestyle. It also helps that, uh, you know, we have different color options across the board. So I love the army greens, the olive greens, the blacks, the navies. Um, so just if you guys want to check those out, give them a try. You can use the code, the Barbell CEO, you can get 15% off everything on the site. Uh, we're always coming up with new uh, things here in 2021. Uh, so just stay tuned for cool things dropping with that. The Renaissance Periodization Diet app is something that has changed the game for myself in terms of how I was able to gain uh, you know, bulk and cut over the past year. 
as well as help a lot of my beginner clients. I had clients who lost over 50 pounds of weight. I've had uh, even national level lifters who've been able to cut weight, come down a weight class, or stay within a weight class, even though we're gaining muscle and strength. So this app is a game changer, and I think it's important for uh, people even who are using other apps, maybe say MyFitnessPal, lose it, to really explore this app because unlike those apps, and listen, tracking macronutrients, tracking calories is key. And I think a lot of people, um, while they have good intentions with that, they might not have the best plan because things aren't linear, right? So if they follow the same macronutrients week after week after week, at some point the body's going to adapt and we have to stay ahead of that curve. And that's exactly what the Renaissance Periodization, the RP Diet app, does. So if you guys want to check that out, you can go to rp.app slash code slash j2fit. That's obviously the code here to help you guys save 10% off of that. You can also check out 10% off of the website stuff like the ebooks and the diet templates. So with this app, what you can do is you go in, you set your lifestyle, you put in you know your training frequency, how hard you train, how long you train, um, you when you wake up, when you go to sleep, and it puts together a meal plan for you. And every week, uh, I have my clients and myself, I weigh in Mondays and Fridays. Every week I go in, I put my, my numbers in according to my progress. Maybe I'm, I'm in a bulking and I want to gain at a certain rate or I'm cutting and I want to lose at a certain rate. If I'm on point, we go to the next week, repeat it. If I'm not, what the app will do is it will actually increase or decrease my macronutrients. So that's fats, carbohydrates, and protein. It will increase those or decrease those based on my progress every week. So when I'm checking in, I get that accountability and I get that plan for the next week. Um, what I really also like about this is that you can customize what you're eating. So when I walk into the kitchen this morning, uh, my macros, I had 70 grams of carbs, 40 grams of protein, and about 20 grams of fat. So I said, okay, it's like a Chipotle-esque style app where you, you know, step one, you choose your protein. So I said, I'm gonna have some eggs. I chose whole eggs. They told me, Mike, you can have four whole eggs. So I had four whole eggs that about filled up my fat uh, macro as well. So I was good there. And then I was left with carbohydrates and I chose to go with just flour tortillas. I kind of burn them on my, on my um, stovetop there to kind of char them up, put a little hot sauce on them. And it was great because it told me exactly how much to do. Sometimes it's easy as, you know, four tortillas. Other times you may have to weigh your food on a scale, but that's super easy. So if you guys uh, want to try that app out, maybe you've struggled with things in the past, you've been doing the same app without results, I highly, highly, highly recommend this app. This is, uh, you know, you're already tracking your food in other places. Um, so you might as well do it even more efficiently with this app. You can use the code J2FIT and save 10% on the app there uh, by simply going to rp.app and you can uh, enter in the code there and save there. So I get asked a lot about what supplements I take. And to be very clear here, I do not take any uh, uh, performance enhancing drugs, none of that. But I do take two supplements. I guess if you count caffeine, that's three, but I do that in black coffee. But two supplements methodically, religiously all the time that I feel that most people, if not everyone, should be doing, uh, whether you're a recreational lifter or a competitive lifter. The first one is whey protein. Now, we know that protein is great for enhancing recovery. It's great for uh, minimizing muscle loss during cutting phases. It's also great for maximizing strength and muscle gain during bulking cycles. So, as we heard about the RP diet app to give you your protein macros, if you're struggling to hit protein, now I would love to have everyone just be able to eat whole foods, but as an athlete, as somebody who's constantly breaking down our bodies, we need to eat more protein than the average bear and maybe having a supplement 
where it's a clean, it's naturally sweetened with stevia, might be something that we want to look at. And if it tastes great, that's also perfect. So that's why I joined up with NF Sports. Um, I really like their whey protein. It's 100% whey, fast digesting, super clean, super digestible, tastes great. Um, they have a couple of different flavors. My personal favorite, they have the Belgian chocolate. That's some like actual shavings of chocolate in there. So it gives it a nice, a little bit of texture. It's great for in shakes. Um, they also have some strawberry and they have some vanilla. So that's something I recommend, whether you're a beginner or an advanced lifter, right? Like a lot of my snacks is a protein shake and maybe a sandwich or a polo porto for some cereal. It's just a great way to boost your protein intake. The second is creatine. Now, there's a bunch of different products out there with creatine, right? There's the pills, the serums, the powders. I personally stick with just a straight monohydrate. Uh, I'm a big fan of keeping it simple because in the research studies, that's what's been shown is just simple creatine monohydrate, whether it's, you know, five grams here or, uh, or 10 grams, however you want to space it out. Um, but I really like NF Sports creatine because it's affordable and it also is just creatine monohydrate. There's no fillers, there's no sugars, there's nothing else in there. Uh, and that's what's key is that a lot of times when you're buying like these pre-workouts that have creatine in it, they're pumped with caffeine, they're pumped with sugars. We don't even know what, what else is in there. You know, you look at the ingredients list, there's 20 things. There should just be one thing in there. And that's why I really like NF Sports both way as well as their creatine. So you guys can check that out. Um, you guys can go to the website. You can save 30% off everything with the code J2FIT. I just enter that at checkout and know you're helping to support this show as well as your health and fitness. All right, so we're talking about what to do if you have chicken legs. Uh, regardless, maybe you have a great upper body, maybe you don't, and you, or maybe you're just looking to gain mass in your lower body. And that's something that I struggled with uh, kind of throughout my earlier lifting career and, and just growing was that uh, my legs wouldn't grow no matter how many times I thought I would, you know, I'm squatting, I'm doing leg presses, I'm doing, you know, bodybuilding magazine workouts, all of this stuff, and they just didn't seem to grow. And in this episode, I'm going to cover with you First off, eight reasons why you or somebody who has chicken legs might be struggling with this issue and how to combat that, right? So let's dive into the eight reasons why you might have chicken legs or you might actually, uh, even though you're training them and you're doing everything you can, you're just not getting the leg growth you want or maybe you have great legs and you just want to get them bigger. Um, so the first one, insufficient overall training volume. Let me say that again. In short, it basically means you're not getting enough work specifically to your quads and hamstrings throughout the course of the week to make it happen, right? So when I'm looking at that, I'm really trying to think about uh, hitting my big compound movements uh, in a way that I can uh, track my overall sets throughout the week and, and make sure that I'm, I'm getting adequate volume week to week. And as my body starts to adjust, maybe I have to increase that volume until I kind of get towards the upper limit. And then I have to re kind of recalibrate things. So when I'm looking at my quads, uh, you know, and I really like the Renaissance periodization hypertrophy manuals here. And they actually just released an ebook. So you guys could use, you know, the, the code that I have their J2Fit. You could go online, check it out. But they have an ebook there. Um, and they also have the training hub central. It's just 
online content. And it basically goes through all the muscle groups. And based on the research that they've collected, uh, based on the research that's out there and the, the reviews that they've done, they give you kind of ranges that you can stick and stay within. So for quadriceps, I typically try to go between 14 and 18 total sets per week. And when I mean total sets, that is really main work sets. So it doesn't include warm-ups, right? Sometimes uh, I may or may not include like just like leg extensions, kind of single leg work, but sometimes I will. Um, but 14 to 18. And when I start out a mesocycle, like a, a maybe it's a five-week training program, like my current one now, I kind of hang out towards the lower end of that. And over the course of, you know, two, three, four, five weeks, I might go, you know, 14 total sets. Second week might be 14 total sets. Maybe it's a little heavier. Uh, the third week might be the same amount of weight, but I go to 15 total sets. And then, you know, the next week, the fourth week might be 17 total sets. And throughout this whole period, I'm just tracking to make sure that, you know, having muscle soreness, I'm still getting recovery. Because if I get to a point where my performance is dropping and I'm increasing my training volume, maybe I don't need to go any more training volume because it might actually be too much for me, right? And, and that's kind of a, a typical thing when people are doing a bunch of volume, right? Um, that's kind of the next thing is they're doing it too much, but they can actually impede recovery, which impedes growth. Um, for hamstrings, the same concept, but maybe a little less because hamstrings are used a lot elsewhere. So uh, a lot of, I like about 12 to 15 direct hamstring work. So maybe that's coming from stiff leg deadlifts. Um, you know, I don't count conventional deadlifts um, or even sometimes I don't count sumo deadlifts as hamstring um, when, I'm, when I'm going for actual growth. Maybe a deficit sumo I would. Um, so a lot of that more specific hamstring work where I feel that local muscle fatigue. The next thing is training frequency. Now to go along with the overall training volume of things, training frequency is important um, because there, uh, right, we all know the leg day, right? We have one day we murder ourselves with legs. Maybe we're doing all 18 sets of quads, follow it up with 15 sets of hamstrings. We got a total of 33 sets of lower body. That's a hellish workout. And to be quite frank, that's probably a lot of trash volume. So typically when I'm putting together workouts, I try to keep most of my lower body just because the loading is much higher. It's a lot more stress. Uh, I like to keep my total volume, right? Between 15, 20, maybe low 20 tops, right? So maybe that's, you know, 12 sets of quads and then you know, six sets of hamstrings, you know, split up between a, a variety of exercises. And that might be that day one. Well, how do I get the rest of my volume? I don't add it all on day one. I have another day where I do it, right? So I think optimal training frequency for somebody who has chicken legs is not to do more in one day, but to do more quality work across the weeks. So maybe split up what you would do in one day, make sure your volumes are correct, but do two days or maybe three days. Right? And that's kind of what I'll get to at the end here is a sample two-day workout that you can hit all your volume. And the great thing about increasing your training frequency is you aren't debilitatingly sore because you murdered your legs in one day, but also you'll be able to generally work with a little heavier loading, which obviously, you know, some movements we don't have to go crazy, crazy heavy, but we have to have some stimulus. We have to have some load. But then also more importantly is we can allow ourselves to recover. So when that muscle gives out and we still have 10 more sets we want to do, Right? We're not just murdering our joints and ligaments. And that's something that would be important and to be a focus when we're you know, training a lot more frequently, you're advancing in your programming, or you're just getting older. So that's something that uh, you know, has really made a big difference is training a muscle group two times a week. Um, 
I find two to be the best, but sometimes even three. And it might even be that third day, it's just four sets of leg press. Like that might just be, that might be it. Even though maybe you're doing, you know, arms and shoulders and you finish off with some leg extensions. You get your volume in. Another one here, uh, poor exercise selection. So, you know, we all know of, we want to get bigger legs, sure. We know the kind of the big things here. But there's a lot of people that spend a lot of time doing exercises that might not actually be promoting the best growth for them, right? And I know there's a lot of things out there that, you know, people like doing these flashy, you know, functional exercises, snap, but there has to be exercise that allow you to, to add loading, right? I'm not saying you have to max that every time, but you should be, you know, working with substantially heavy weight, right? Heavy is relative, but you know, with a weight that, you know, if you're looking to squat, right, and you're doing high rep squats, and sometimes if you're feeling your back going out, right, obviously you look at your technique, but you might just be doing too much volume and you're starting to blow out, you know, your, your smaller muscle groups and you're not really challenging the lower body because they're stronger than what that is. So sometimes some people respond a little better to, you know, rep ranges of five to 10 versus, you know, 12 to 15. You can kind of vary it based on your cycle. You can experiment, but I think it's important that we want to have exercise selection where we're focusing on the compound lifts, really building around that. So that would be, you know, your, your back squats, your, your front squats, your hack squats, your leg press. We'll get to all that later. Um, and then maybe focusing on the unilateral stuff, but you, you know, you can kind of mix all that in there. So making sure that we're, we're really focusing on good exercises. Next one, not training in the full range of motion. Now, before we go too deep into this, right, we have that whole camp of like squat ass the grass or don't squat at all. You know, anything up above ass the grass is wasting your time. There is some merit in terms of we want to have maximal muscular tension and we can get that via a loaded stretch, right? So if it's a squat and we're trying to get the quads, obviously the quads move at the knee joint, right? So the depth in a squat if somebody just gets super deep because they're pushing their hips back and they're leaning forward and that's deep, well, maybe the squat was deep, but the knee flexion wasn't deep. And now we're not hitting our quads. We're just, you know, gearing up our back on our hips. So that ass to grass squat might not actually be beneficial to what we're trying to do. So it's important to understand that we want to get full range of motion at the target joint that we're trying to hit. So if it's a quadricep focused squat, right, like a high bar back squat or a front squat, or hack squat, or even leg press, we want to focus on knee flexion. And, and the amount of knee flexion is going to be really come down to comfort. And, you know, if there's pain in something, then we don't need to go any deeper. Uh, you probably should address that first. Um, but really just try to get that deep, deep, deep stretch. Feel that tension. And I'm just using the quad here uh, because that's example purposes. But, you know, say you're doing a back squat and, you know, you're sitting down there and you're feeling your quads getting roasted. And maybe you're like an inch above parallel. If you, or I mean, an inch below parallel. If you could get a little deeper and put a little more stretch in that quad, obviously your loading might not be as high. You know, that might help you out there, and then you can kind of build strength from there. Um, so I think it's important. You know, if we're looking at stiff leg deadlifts, if we want to hit the hamstrings, you should feel the hamstrings getting loaded up. Because if you're not, then you know you're loading other things up, even though you're doing an exercise, and that's counterintuitive, right? So with muscle growth. And this is not, you know, exclusive to this is, you know, this is different than strength development because strength development, I don't want you thinking about where you feel in the muscle, right? Muscle growth, we have to be focusing on if you want to do a stiff leg deadlift because you're trying to, you know, get those hamstrings to grow, 
you should be feeling those hamstrings by after that first or second set already starting to kind of talk to you. Um, and this kind of goes into the next thing, which is training too heavy, right? Typically when people train too heavy, they cut their range of motion, right? They're not focusing anymore on the joint action and the muscle stretch. They're just trying to move weight, um, which can lead to them, you know, maybe their knees are hurting, their joints get hurt over time. They can't train as frequently. So all those can really just boil down to sometimes you're training too heavy, right? So if we can just drop the loading, Right? And it doesn't mean the workouts are going to be easier because there's all kinds of variables we can change here. We can have you go deeper into a squat. If anybody who's done a half squat and then went full deep, a full depth, it's a completely different world down there. Right? And most people don't want to live down there because it sucks. It's a horrible place to be, but it's a great place to be if you're looking to gain powerful quads and hamstrings in the full range of motion. So that's something we want to think about. Um, you know, Personally, I like most of my compound lifts when I'm looking for strength and size. I like to stay in that like five to eight rep range. Um, and that's obviously I'm not in a strength phase. Obviously you will get stronger. At least you'll, you'll increase the raw material to get stronger and express that strength later on. Um, but I like doing a lot of my compound lifts and my squats, my deadlifts, uh, my stiff leg deadlifts, RDLs. Remember, I don't count conventional for hamstring. Um, I like doing that in that five to eight rep range with some controlled eccentrics, making sure that I'm really using good loading, but I'm, I'm acquiring muscular fatigue and not just overall fatigue without a lot of muscle uh, loading and, and volume. Um, the next one here is your training too light. This is something I see a lot when I get a lot of beginner clients, remote clients, um, you know, maybe who are struggling to gain mass, maybe they're hard gainers, is they're just not training heavy enough. Uh, and again, heavy is relative, but if you are using, you know, if you get to the end of a, of a set, maybe we're doing a set of a 10, and you get to the end of the set and, you know, if your life depended on it, you could have gotten more than five reps or maybe even more than three reps. Really, I like keeping th at least three reps in the tank, if not maybe two or three reps in the tank, no more than that. You're probably training too light. It, you know, so whatever your rep range would be, if it's a 20 rep squat, that doesn't mean it's an easy, super light squat. It's light relative to your 10 rep. But by the end of that last 20 rep squat, you should be able to do, you know, two or three more at most. If you could sit there and do another 10, then it's too light to begin with. And your loading is, is not proper, uh, properly going to induce the stimulus that you want. So, if, you know, this is kind of a challenge I see with people who work out from home, all that stuff. You know, I have people who want to get bigger legs and, you know, they squat 315, but they only have body weight. If you can do something, you know, more than 25 reps to fatigue, then it's it's probably you're going to be limited by loading. And you're just going to acquire a lot of fatigue in general just because you're doing a lot of volume. So you're going to feel tired, but you're not actually going to get a lot of muscular stimulus and that anabolic process to drive that growth. So that's something to think about. Uh, next one, not eating enough. This is like really... For anybody out there who is having issues gaining muscle mass and size is you need to eat more right it's so cliche but like somebody who tells me that they just can't gain weight or they can't gain muscle despite them you know they're eating i'm sorry buddy you're just not eating enough like that's at the end of the day it's like if you want to buy something but you don't have enough money or you say i, I just can't afford it i can't do this and that well what do you gotta do you gotta make more money you gotta you gotta eat more you gotta eat more food put more nutrients in your body because the more food you can slowly ramp up, and that's why I like the RP diet, back to plugging that, and the diet app is because it ramps you up. So somebody asked me the other day, Mike, how much you eat in your bulk? 
I was eating like 800 grams of carbs. I was eating over 5,000 calories every single day. But that was my week 14 numbers. When I started, I wasn't eating that much, right? And each week I was increasing 200, 300 calories just to be able to keep myself on track to build my appetite up because I couldn't do that week one and nor can most people. So that's why you have to have a better plan and you have to eat more food. And then last one here, this is a big one. Uh, I actually suffer from this. I know a lot of people suffer from this and maybe this comes with uh, people are afraid to gain body fat during a period where they're trying to gain mass. And this is really big for like people who struggle with the chicken legs or the, the heart gainers is that they can't gain mass because they can't eat the food, but they don't want to eat all the food because they don't want to, you know, get uh, gain body fat. So in order to, to make themselves feel better about that, they start pounding away. They start doing cardio. So they're eating more, but they're burning more in cardio. And it's kind of like a net negative balance. So excessive high impact cardio specifically, but I would really just expand that to excessive cardio, um, you know, putting a lot of wear and tear on the legs. And that's why a lot of bodybuilders during bulk, I mean, they, there is a benefit to doing like slow, steady state, low impact cardio for heart health, right? All that stuff. If you're relatively healthy, you're young, you know, you could do that if you wanted to. Um, but, and I guess, you know, there is benefit in terms of if you're looking to do that, it's obviously going to increase your calorie expenditure. It's going to force you to eat more. You could set your metabolic base rate higher. So then, you know, during a cut phase, it'll be a little easier. So I agree, you know, you could do some, but for most people who are doing a lot of cardio and trying to gain leg mass and size, that's probably counterintuitive work. So I would really cut it back. I would stick to very slow, like low impacts, maybe incline walking, walking, you know, maybe elliptical. I know it's not as sexy as going out and, you know, sprinting, going out and, you know, doing all kinds of running and jogging 5Ks and doing Murph and this and that. And all those are great. You know, those are all great. But if you're struggling to put on leg mass and size, you only have a certain amount of energy that you can put to that because everything else you do outside of that is going to impede recovery. So that's something to think about. Um, and then, you know, the, the next thing I really we're going to go into is going to be the best exercises in my book. And obviously this isn't like a mutually exclusive list, but some of the best exercises to gain mass and build bigger legs. Now, a preface to all this, before we go into talking about this, right? Cause I'm sure you can start guessing like high bar back squat, duh. If you're sitting here and you're saying I have issues and I'm doing these exercises and I'm still having issues, then there's clearly a disconnect between what how you're doing those exercises and how they should be done to promote muscle growth and size. So when you're listening to this next session, I want you guys to uh, really just focus on not just hearing the exercise, but hearing how the exercise is executed, the mindset behind these exercises, and, and what I'm thinking about, what I tell my clients, and what I'm looking for when we're doing these exercises. So the first one, the high bar back squat. Notice I said high bar. I'm not against the low bar entirely, but if you're looking to gain leg mass, you know, build up these quads, the high bar back squat is gonna keep you in a more vertical position, which is gonna cut down on the amount of hip flexion and send your torso forward. So in terms, it's gonna keep your, your vertical chest position, it's gonna force more knee flexion, which the quad works to extend the knee. So we wanna obviously put in a flexion to make the quad work. That's why I'm choosing the high bar back squat. Now, when we're doing this, there's you know a couple ways you could take this to the next level. You, if you're struggling with that, you could elevate your heels. You know, you could wear lifting shoes. 
But the biggest thing is when you're doing this is we want to make sure that the, the, the descent portion is coming. Obviously, you're going to have hip flexion, but really relying on that knee flexion, getting down nice and deep, feeling that stretch. So I like doing, you know, two to three second tempos in like the first month cycle of a hypertrophy cycle. I might add a pause at the bottom. And then, you know, the second cycle, I might just, you know, keep the eccentric, no pause, and then maybe I'll do full. That's kind of how I would progress that in my hypertrophy program. That's the biggest thing. You could also do different techniques like a tempo, you know, where you just tempo in throughout, maybe two to three down, two to three hold, and then coming back up. I find tempos is great for beginners to just reestablish a better squat patterning in general. The next one here is the leg press. And I know there's kind of two camps here. Some people love it, some people don't. I think the leg press, uh, it gets a lot of bad rap because people try to eagle lift on this thing. If you can put your feet at the lower end of the platform, um, and then you know space your feet accordingly. The narrower they are, if you can achieve that narrow position and get down to depth while keeping your lower back flat, perfect, right? Obviously, the wider it is, um, you know, you're gonna start loading the glutes and hips more. Some people just that's what it is because they don't have the mobility. But I find that a lot of people they fail to control the sled on the way down, or they start to use momentum and they kind of cut their depth. Right, so when we're doing this, the reason we put the feet lower on the platform is because it, it's gonna force more knee flexion. Again, that's the emphasis of the, of the leg press is that we wanna get the quads. And I mean, really getting down there, making sure at that bottom depth that you're keeping your lower back flat. We don't want that lower back bubbling up there. Um, I really like using the leg press, uh, not for like my heavy, heavy work, right? Uh, in turn, I guess not for my lower rep work. So my squats, I typically stay within like a five to 10 range, no matter what cycle I'm in, except maximal strength. I don't like going higher than that on squats because I start to just roast out my back instead of my legs, which is insert then the leg press. So I might follow the leg press up in my squat program and I'm doing you know anywhere from like eight to 15 reps to 10 to 20 reps. So I might you know, maybe it's four plates on one side. My first set, I get, you know, 14 set, 14 reps. Second set, I get 12. My last set, I get eight. The next week, now I have a goal that I can beat, right? And maybe the next week I get 14, 13, 14, right? I found a second wind. I could either say, okay, third week, I'm gonna increase another, uh, my volume and I'm gonna increase one set, kind of increase my overall training volume there, or I could just increase weight and then I just repeat it. So there's a couple of different variables you can do with that, and that's why it's cool for hypertrophy training is you can maneuver and manipulate variables uh, based on kind of how you're feeling. So you feel strong that day, cool. You can go up you know, a little bit more weight, match your, match your reps as long as you stay within those ranges. So that's kind of how I use a leg press. Next, the front squat, right? So the front squat, um, I like doing the front squat. Obviously, it, it shifts the weight in front of you, so it's an anterior load, so it's gonna force you even more to stay in a vertical position. The more vertical your back angle is, the less the hips can go out and back behind you, so it's gonna, uh, in turn, force more knee flexion, right, which obviously the quad extends the knee, so that's what we're working on there. Um, this is something big, obviously, for Olympic weightlifting. It's very uh, skill-specific to the clean, but you know you could do it in the front rack, you could do it hands crossed, whatever your mobility allows for. Um, the biggest thing is that we want to stay vertical. We want to have really the knees bending there. Obviously, you're going to have some hip, hip flexion, um, but we want to really focus on knee flexion. Um, when I'm doing this, again, I don't do a lot of high rep uh, front squat. I kind of stay within the 5 to 10 range just because anything after that, I start to get, you know, the, the core starts to get fatigued, the upper back gets fatigued. I start losing positioning before I get uh, quad 
limitations. And that's kind of a big one I think about exercise selection is when I'm pushing intensity, am I failing because the quads are giving out or am I failing because other things are giving out? And if it's other things giving out that I typically stay in that heavier range, if I can really push the quads to failure and, and higher rep, then that's kind of where that fits. Um, so another option here is the hack squat. Uh, some gyms, it's you know habit, some don't. I love the hack squat. It's kind of like a front squat, um, I guess, front squat positioning, but it's a machine, and but it's kind of like a front squat leg press in my book. Uh, it's great because, you know, it sets you back, gives you great feedback. You're kind of, you know, you got your feet on the platform. And I like putting, again, my feet on the lower end of the platform, uh, you know, to really force that knee flexion. The further out that way from you, the less knee flexion you're going to get. So, you know, it's you're probably better off dropping weight and getting your depth and moving your feet back under you. Um, I've even seen people, you know, kind of stack plates so that, you know, because if you bottom out the sled, it might not be your true depth. So this is big for like shorter lifters. You can stack your plates there and you can get your full depth. That's great because it locks you in position. Like you can't compensate whatsoever. You can't shift weight to your hips. It, you're either coming it up or you're not. Um, so I love the hack squat. That's again, that's something that, you know, I can use five to 10 reps all the way up to, you know, 10 to 20 reps depending on it. So that's a great exercise if you have access to it. Um, another one here, it's super, uh, super common everywhere is a leg extension machine. Um, I obviously don't really train that heavy on this. I don't like loading any single joint exercise with a lot of weight um, in terms of like low rep range. Um, so this is something that maybe I'll use in uh, warmups to get my quads you know, activated. I might use them at the end just to really get a lot of blood flow in there and get some metabolite push to really drive that the growth. Um, so that's something that you know you can superset with other things. Uh, you know, maybe unilaterals, but I'm a big fan of, of doing these. Uh, this is great for people who want to just, you know, add some extra leg volume throughout the week. You know, they could hit their shoulders and arms, like we said earlier, and then they could add, you know, four or five sets, you know, maybe doing like, you know, 10 to 15 reps, really focusing on just getting that quad going. Next one, Bulgarian split squats. This is kind of a fusion one for me because, uh, you know, it's something I always do. I feel my quads, and the next day I feel my glutes and I feel my hamstrings. So it's kind of a, a good uh, all-around kind of, um, it kind of fills the gap between the two. It helps bridge that gap. That's a better way to say it, bridge it. Um, unilateral, right? So it's gonna help you attack uh, any any discrepancies you have between your left and your right in terms of your leg strength. It's gonna help attack that. Um, so this is something that, again, like, I can load this thing up in the five to 10 rep range, right? Like the other day I was doing uh, half fields, Bulgarian split squats, my front foot was elevated. Uh, and that all that does is, you know, that allows me to get even greater knee flexion. So even more emphasis on the quad. So you can always do that with like a lunge, reverse lunge, anything. You can always elevate the front foot. Um, I mean, I had 200 pounds on there and I was doing, you know, sets of eight to 10 on each leg, right? It was heavy. Um, so I was training that, right? So you don't necessarily with unilateral need to go uh, always super light. I mean, I wouldn't recommend going less than five reps. Um, and I would recommend if you are doing that, you're in a rack so that if you, if you bail, it's not like you're gonna you know kill yourself. Um, so that's what I recommend. Um, but again, like I wouldn't try and test maximal strength on a unilateral work, but you can still lift relatively heavy. So, uh, you know, earlier I talked about, I don't like putting conventional deadlifts as my uh, hamstring specific work, right? I think conventional deadlift is a great exercise. Like I love it, it's great, I do it. Um, but when I go to my numbers and I'm looking at, you know, cause conventional deadlift is more of a, 
it's kind of like how do you quantify a clean or a snatch volume in terms of what muscle group it works, right? Even though obviously it's a posterior dominant, uh, it, you're still working your back, you're working your erectors, you're working your hamstrings, your glutes. But I like to really uh, use the stiff leg deadlift, right? Where, you know, obviously it's much more hamstring. And this kind of goes the same with the Romanian deadlift. I use these two interchangeably uh, depending on the cycle. So it's a little less knee uh, flexion. So it's your knees are a little straighter when you start. And you're really, by in turn, you're forcing that hamstring to stretch because the more you bend your knee, the less tension on the hamstring. So I'm not saying it's like fully locked out, right? But it definitely has a slight bend in it and it's staying constant. And you can do this, you know, just warming up or just standing up right now. If you stood up and you, uh, you know, push your hips back with a little bit of knee bend and then you keep your hips back, lower back flat and you try and straighten your knees, you're going to feel that stretch and that tension in your hamstrings. And finding that is what I'm looking for when I'm doing a stiff leg or Romanian deadlift. Um, now that being said, I still train these pretty heavy. So, you know, I, I like to train them within that, you know, I like to train heavy on the hamstring, you know, five to 10 rep range, anything higher than that. I really, personally speaking, I don't, I mean, I feel my hamstring, um, but I, I started to feel other things too. So it kind of goes back to that stimulus to fatigue kind of deal with am I attacking the muscle? Um, so I typically stay within that five to 10. Sometimes I'll go above 10, but Typically, it's at five to ten rep range, and I'm really loading those hamstrings up. Um, and there is some, you know, when you look at the hypertrophy guides or anything, there is some um, in terms of heavy hinge movements. You know, the hamstring is a fast twitch muscle fiber, so typically those can respond a little better to uh, to heavier loading. Um, following that up with seated or lying hamstring curls. Uh, I only have access to the seated. I know there's two pe uh, two camps. Some people love hate seated. Some people love hate lying. Some people love both. Um, research has kind of shown they both can work. I've seen some research out there saying actually, uh, you know, I got an argument with somebody who said lying was better. Um, but in terms of hamstring activation, uh, I saw some research saying that seated was better. Regardless, whatever it is, do what you can do. This is an exercise I like to drive metabolic fatigue or a metabolite fatigue, not metabolic metabolite. So within that muscle, getting that fatigue, high fatigue without uh, and high high muscular fatigue, high muscular stimulus without a lot of stress to the other muscles, right? So like if I was doing high rep deadlifts, there'd be stress all over the place, CNS, the back, everywhere. With the seated machine, and this is great about machines, is you can push that intensity, you can push that stress and stimulus without you know blowing up your back, because then you know tomorrow when you got bent over rows, you know, or or some other even like a you know overhead press, your lower back's not going to blow up on you. So that's why I like doing the lying hamstring work. And last one here on this list, this is something more for like you know the athletic training facilities, uh, strength conditioning, or just gyms that you know that have that. Maybe they only have a squat rack, no machines, uh, or maybe even people who who you know maybe can't squat heavy right now because their back just kind of tightens up. I have a couple clients like that who you know came to me with some back issues, um, but they're athletes and we're you know we're kind of in that weird in between stage where we're getting stronger, we're improving movement, we're feeling better but we just can't quite put that loading on yet. And um, I really like using sled pushes, right? Because by not being in that vertical position, you know, you're obviously more bent over because you're pushing the sled. You're changing the, the stress on that lower back. So the force has shifted a little bit. I really like, like my favorite go-to would be like four to six sets 
you know, two to three minutes in between because I'm not here to like try and do like a, a fitnessy workout. I'm here to just push a really heavy sled, 45, 60 seconds. So whatever that distance may be, sometimes I'll say it's 50 yards, sometimes I might go 70, you know, depending on what, what it is. Um, but I kind of want to stay within that range there. Um, and we just push as heavy as we can while still keeping the sled movement. It's not a race. I'm not trying to go fast with it. I'm just trying to keep constant tension, focus on the legs driving. And if you've ever done something like this, you will know you're doing it because it is nasty and your legs will balloon up and, and you know, you might get a little just fatigue in general, obviously. Um, but what's cool about this is that it's got a lot of concentric stress, so it forces a lot of blood flow in there. It doesn't have a lot of eccentric stress, which is great for, um, you know, I was going through a period where I was dealing with some knee, quad, uh, tendonitis stuff. Um, and it's basically just a bunch of terminal and knee extensions under load without having the eccentric. So um, it's great for that type of process too. So those are, um, you know, some of my favorite kind of go-tos. And I'll realistically, I'll stick, stick with those for most of my training uh, over the past couple of years. It's just really been that, just changing some variables, changing exercise order, you know, and just kind of tracking things over time. Um, so... You know, I kind of threw out you guys a lot of different stuff on, you know, why people might be struggling with not gaining leg mass, having the chicken legs. Um, you know, all jokes aside, it, you know, a lot of people struggle with it. I struggled with it. Um, and then I offered you kind of my, my some of my 10 top go-to things here that if you're not doing the vast majority of those, I'm not sure what else you're doing. I mean, you could be doing crazy little variations, um, you know, or maybe you are doing it and, you know, you're not loading it properly. You're not performing reps properly. Those are all things to look at. Um, but I want to just show, uh, I want to just discuss with you guys um, a sample two-day leg hypertrophy split that I would do. So, you know, this is something that, um, remember we go back to the training volumes, right? So this is like the week one, and I'll kind of show you how you could progress this. But the training volumes, you know, I'm trying to hit, you know, anywhere between 14 and 18 total sets of quadriceps throughout the course of the week. And then the hamstrings, maybe a little lower just because, you know, if I'm doing my cleans or pulling from the floor or my conventional deadlift, I don't count that into that volume because I kind of know I'm getting additional outside. Um, so I'm typically in that lower range of maybe 12 to 15 instead of 14 to 18, uh, relatively speaking to the quads. So day one, I like to, you know, day one and uh, day four. So it's usually Monday and Thursdays are, uh, are my lower body splits, right? So I'll go uh, Monday, uh, lower, Tuesday, upper, Wednesday off, Monday, or sorry, Thursday would be uh, lower, Friday, upper, and then Saturday, I might kind of fill in with accessories and, you know, maybe do a little more upper kind of body shop work. So that's what I do. So when I do it is I, I don't make a 50-50 split on my volume in terms of I'll do half quads and half hamstrings on both days. Um, I find a little better that I try to do like 75% of my quad volume on day one, the other 25 on day uh, four, the second leg day. And then, you know, on day one, I'll do 25% of my hamstrings and then more of a hamstring focus on the next day. And I find that, you know, I, I can still get the volume in, but I, you know, if I just did 50-50, I might not get that, the stimulus and that, that growth and soreness that I'm kind of looking for. Um, but that's not to say you couldn't do 50-50, that's just how I split it. So day one, right after I warm up, you know, I might, uh, you know, I'll start four sets of five to eight reps of my high bar back squat, and obviously work on everything we talked about. 
you know, then I'll look at, uh, so that's my quad focus. Then I'll go and I'll shift over, kind of give my quads a quick break. I'll go to my good mornings um, and, you know, four sets of five to eight. Like I said, I like doing a lot of the hinge work, whether it's good mornings or things from the floor, uh, you know, the five to 10, five to eight rep range. Then I go back and I'll do, uh, like in this last program, I had leg press, so I did four sets, 10 to 15 reps, right? And I was, you know, like I said, I was using a weight that, you know, if I hit 15 on that first set, I stopped, but I realistically only had one or two reps in the tank. So obviously by the fourth set, you know, I was maybe hitting, luckily to hit 10 or 11, um, and I'll kind of progress from there. Then I went over to unilateral, um, just for more of a, uh, trying to really get that quad, get a little hamstring glute love in there. Uh, so I did three sets, eight to 10 on that. Um, and then I burned out with leg extensions doing three sets of 20 to 30 reps, right? So for that day, my overall uh, lower, like, quad volume, uh, four, four, three, so that's 11. And then Bulgarian split squats are always difficult because it kind of like, it kind of counts for everything. Um, so let's call it like 11 or 12 sets there and four sets of hamstrings plus, you know, one or two from the Bulgarian. So, you know, that's kind of my day one, my day two, uh, my, or my second leg workout, I would do stiff leg deadlift, right? Five sets, five to eight. I get a lot of good stimulus from stiff legs. It's one that works well for me, so I, I like to really rely on that heavily. Um, then I follow up with five sets of hamstring curls. Again, higher rep work, 10 to 15. Um, and then I would, you know, so there's my 10 sets of hamstrings coupled with four sets from the other day. That's 14, I'm in my range. And then I would round out, you know, I had 11 or 12 quad sets on day one. On day two, um, I really like hack squat or even like, uh, you know, a heavy, you could do a, a heel elevated dumbbell squat. I have that as a variation for some of my clients who don't have a hack squat, but obviously you're limited more on, can you hold a heavy, you know, dumbbell? Can you get like a hundred, you know, hundred, 110 pound dumbbell? Can you even get it up here? So I like the hack squat for that reason, but I'll do like five sets of 10 to 15, getting kind of that moderate range in there. And that'll bring my total quad volume up to, you know, 15, 16 sets uh, in that first week. From there, the second week, I'll keep everything the same because I'm dealing with ranges. I can kind of keep the weight the same and I can push towards the upper end of the range. Uh, if I kind of was, you know, maybe a week when I was a little lighter and I was already consistently at the top end, I might just increase weight. Um, I could, you know, the third week, maybe I increase, you know, I do one more set of back squats. So now my overall volume is just up, you know, one, one, uh, one set in that week. So I'm, you know, instead of hitting 16, I'm at 17. And then once I get to a point where I'm, you know, my volumes are towards the end, right? Maybe I'm getting 18 sets of quads and 15 sets of hamstrings and I'm still getting results and stimulus. At some point I have to know I'm kind of towards that end and, and I can't continue to, you know, do it week after week and now I'm doing 27 sets of squats, right? It's just uh, 27 sets of quads. It's just not, not feasible and it's not suggested because you're going to really start to overuse and, and wear and tear your body. So what I might do is I might put a, light, a slight deload in there. Um, if I'm still getting results from a certain movement and I'm not getting any joint pain from it, I'll keep it in there and maybe I'll reset and I'll start, I'll kind of restart the, the cycle with heavier weights and kind of repeat it. Um, sometimes, you know, like when I'm doing, you know, leg press, I'll get great stimulus for like six weeks. And then that, you know, the seventh week after a deload, I'm just not getting the same stimulus. I might just swap it out, you know, for six weeks. Maybe I put hack squat in place for it and I move leg press to the other day. Um, you know, it's just a matter of maybe changing exercise order or changing exercises can really help you out there. So 
I know there's a lot of information on this. I hope it was helpful for you guys to hear uh, kind of you know, the mindset that I kind of go into, the resources that you can use to help yourself gain leg mass and size. Um, so again, make sure you guys subscribe to this channel. Um, share this with somebody who struggles with gaining leg mass, whether you, know, whether you just want to call them out and say they got chicken legs or whether you're really trying to be a great lifting partner, great coach, great friend, and help them out with some of these things because you know, I know it's fun and games to say, you know, chicken legs, but this is something I really dealt with. And, and I, to this day, I, you know, I still feel like I want my legs to be bigger. I want them to be stronger. And, and this is something that whether you're trying to gain size or strength, these are principles you can use. And, you know, if you're a strength athlete, you can use these in your hypertrophy program, uh, in your, you know, more off season or base phases to really start to allow yourself to grow. <clears throat> so that's all I got for you guys today. <clears throat> Excuse me. Make sure you guys, uh, again, leave a review. Let me know what you guys think, comment. Um, but until next time, uh, you guys can check me out on Instagram at Mike J. Dewar. Uh, YouTube, this will be up there if you aren't watching already. Um, and I'm actually going to try and start putting this stuff on Spotify in terms of the video. So just stay tuned on that. But uh, thanks for being a part, and I'll see you next time.